look at your bulletin at all, you know that uh, the title to this sermon today is What is Truth? Those are somewhat famous words uh, that Pilate put to Jesus so long ago. And even though his question, uh, I, I assume that his tone was one of disdain, it's still an important question. With everything going on in our world today, with this pandemic that brings so much fear and suffering, so much change and and death to the world, don't you want to know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I think it was about a couple of months ago, maybe three now, that the CDC was saying everyone needs to wear a mask, and at the very same time, the World Health Organization was saying everyone does not need to wear masks. This is the truth. All of these people are looking at and studying the same basic facts, and yet they come up with these very different opinions and interpretations. It's very frustrating not to know the truth. It's sort of like some of the advice we've seen through the years if you're old enough, you remember when there was this whole big deal about cholesterol and what caused high cholesterol, and we were told not to eat eggs. You can't eat eggs. And then a few years later, it was fine to eat eggs. Well, which is it? And sometimes you hear, you know, an aspirin a day will keep the doctor away. Then there are other people that say, stay away from aspirin. Well, which is it? And you know, we have a lot of young mothers in this church and a lot of expectant mothers right now for which we give the Lord thanks. But it'd be, you'd be amazed if you do any study on it at all how much parenting practices have changed and the advice given to parents and what they're told through the years. Back in the early 20th century, parents believed that you were to train left-handedness out of your child, use braces if need be. I think mom and dad, they didn't do that so much. But back in the early part of the 20th century, you were told by the experts not to handle your newborn baby. Handle your baby as little as possible. Can you imagine not snuggling your baby or your grandbaby? Well, think about this. A pamphlet published by the government in 1932 suggested starting toilet training as soon as your child was born. What is the truth? I don't think that was it. Now, what we need to notice about this passage is there's a great contrast going on between what is true and what is not. And the first description we're given is of this crowd of priests and some of their officers, and we assume some soldiers who have arrested Jesus in the first place. According to our text, this group led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, over to Pilate's headquarters. We're told that it was early morning and that they themselves, in other words, this group of Jews, did not enter Pilate's home because they knew they would become defiled. And they still wanted to carry on the things going on during the Passover meal. And verse 29 tells us that Pilate went outside the van 
and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? You can tell he's a kind of matter-of-fact guy. Let's get to the let's get to the subject at hand here. What kind of accusation do you bring? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, would we have handed him over to you? Surely you see the irony here. These men who were supposedly the most holy men in the nation, these men who have been breaking practically every single rule there is in the Jewish legal system, these men who are telling lies and bearing false witness against Jesus, these men who have set trap after trap for Him, even going so far as to forget every principle they've ever had, because over in John's 19th chapter, we see them say, matter-of-factly, we don't have any king except Caesar. These men are worried about the security. They don't want to go into the home of the Gentiles because they don't want to be defiled. This is what John Calvin has to say about this incident. He says there's two faults in these leaders. The first is that they don't consider that they carry more pollution within their hearts than they can contract by entering any place, however profane it is. And the second is they carry to excess their care about smaller matters and neglect what is of the highest importance. As Paul puts it in Titus 1, to the defiled, to unbelievers, nothing is pure because their minds are perverted. These men are worried about defilement when they disregarded and rejected the purest and most holy man to ever walk this earth. You see, for years, literally, by now, they had been on this campaign to destroy Jesus. Just like some of these same people would later be on a campaign to destroy Jesus' disciples after His death and resurrection. But as Gamaliel puts it in Acts 5, when some of this same group want to murder His disciples, He said, if this plan is of men, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to opposing God. And history has shown through the power of God the Father that raised Jesus from the dead on the third day that these men were totally wrong. They were on this bullheaded and treacherous campaign to destroy Jesus, and they were literally opposing God. When I read something like that, it makes me wonder what things I've done that were so wrong. What groups I've led that were that misguided. If nothing else, this text points us to the need of our own self-examination about what is important to us and is it right, is it holy, is it just? Or is it opposing God? As Jeremiah 17 warns us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately see that so clearly in this picture of these priests and officers who scheme and tell lies the entire time. What is true? 
will certainly not find them in here. And then there's time. From uh, contemporary historians of his day, and what they tell us, he was a very treacherous man. But notice that in the Gospel accounts, including our passage, they make it appear as if he was trying to help Jesus get out of this mess. I mean, he can see through the priest's hypocrisy. And we know that Jesus admits to him that his kingdom is not of this world, so it's not a political thing with Pilate. And their charge of him being an evil man just doesn't hold water. In fact, from Matthew's gospel, we find out that Pilate is is trying to listen to him alone. Husbands, I would encourage you to do the same. I heard someone not too long ago say to a young man, you need to listen to that gift that God has given you. You need to listen to your wife. And Matthew tells us in his version of this story that while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much over him today in a dream. And so Pilate's trying to get Jesus out of all of this. But even with all of this going on, Pilate is not a man of truth. He just can't bring himself to do the right thing. In the end, he yields to political pressure and self-preservation and allows the execution of Jesus to take place. He tries to make it appear that he has nothing to do with it, even in dramatic fashion, washing his hands in front of the whole crowd as a way to say, I'm not doing this, and yet we know that the power to execute criminals was one of the most closely guarded functions of Roman governors in that empire. Pilate is responsible. He knows it, and we know it. His actions manifested a different opinion than the truth he expressed that Jesus did not deserve execution. What is truth? Whatever it is, it's not found in Pilate. Now, the only truth we see in this passage is found in that of the Lord Jesus. He said, My kingdom is not of this world. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now remember who he's saying this to. He's saying it to Pilate. He's just given Pilate an opportunity to respond to the truth of his word. This was Jesus' invitation to Pilate to work for truth with him. But his cynical question, what is truth, reveals his true position. He cannot perceive the things of God, even though the Son of God stands right in front of him. And why? John Calvin explains it this way. The wonderful doctrines we see in a preacher's scripture are paradoxes, and thus are disdainfully rejected by the He, therefore, makes progress in the speed of God. Because
because we scarcely find one person in ten who attends to the first and elementary instructions because they measure the secret wisdom of God by their own understanding. I submit this is what happened with the priest and this is what happened with Pilate. They failed to see God's mystery that was being revealed right before their very eyes in this person, Jesus of Nazareth. Do notice that Jesus claims to be a king here. He simply claims that his kingdom is not of this world. In other words, his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. This was the defense that Jesus gave to Pilate that day, but make sure you see how this truth is a comfort to you and me. Paul speaks to this in Philippians 3 when he says, Our commonwealth, or our citizenship if you prefer, is in heaven. And from it, from that heaven, we await a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord, who will change our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power which enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. You see, since this kingdom is of God, and since it is in heaven, this assures us of its eternity. This means that even if the whole world is changed like we found to be true in this pandemic, we're still safe because God is still our refuge. He's still our strength. He's still our fortress. He's still a very present help in times of trouble. And Jesus is still with us even to the end of the age as He promised to be. And if, like Jesus, we should ever be persecuted, our salvation is real and sure in the kingdom of Christ, which is not subject to the rules and whims of men. Unlike this world, the kingdom of Christ does not pass away, and Jesus himself promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is the truth? That's the truth. Amen? Jesus has come to reveal truth, which is what we see when we get a glimpse of God. Now, you're going to say, no one's ever seen God. That's accurate. But John tells us in his first chapter that this Word that has become flesh makes God known. And He's revealed some of God to us, especially some of God's power and some of His Word. Jesus makes God known. And this is why Peter has the reaction he does that we can read about in Luke 5 when the disciples have fished all night and not caught a thing. And Jesus uses their boat. And then he says, why don't you just put out there? Let down your nets for a catch. And remember, Peter said, We've worked all night long and didn't catch anything. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. And you remember, they've caught such a load of fish that their nets were breaking when they were trying to pull them all in. And do you remember Peter's reaction to that? It wasn't praise. It wasn't overwhelming gratefulness. When Peter saw this happen, he got just a glimpse of God. And he said, depart from me. could do no other but fall down in humiliation. And when we experience that kind of truth, we'll do the same. 
This may be that the truth is all about the eternal purpose of God that we can see unfolding before our eyes as Jesus comes before this Roman governor who mistakenly thinks he has the power right and there over Jesus in his own hands. We see this great gift of love that God is doing, his work, of redemption, even as He sends Jesus to the cross through these people who know nothing of the truth. Paul speaks to this in Ephesians 1 when he says, God destined us in love to be His sons through Jesus Christ. How? According to the purpose of His will. It's God's will that sent Jesus to the cross. It's God's will that placed Him under arrest so that the purpose of His salvation might be fulfilled for you and me and all those who look to Him for their redemption. When the Holy Spirit helps us understand that Jesus being condemned means we won't be condemned one day in the sight of God, we give thanks to God for His grace at work in our lives. As Paul confirms in Colossians 1, And you who once were estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. That's the truth. And what wonderful truth it is. If I should ask you, what that city famous for. But it has an interesting cemetery as well. Long ago they brought shiploads of soil, dirt, from the Holy Land. You know, you've heard some people who bring back water from the Jordan River from the Holy Land so that their child or their uh, grandchild can have some some of that holy taking it one step further. We've got dirt from the Holy Land. And they thought it more powerful for salvation than anything else. We know that's not the truth. But that's what they thought. But what we believe happened on that dirt is the truth. And our gift of salvation, for it's where Jesus walked, and it's where He taught, and it's where He made God known, and it's where He was condemned to die on the cross for your sins and mine that we might live. The truth is, the one who walked on that dirt is the one who makes all the difference. Because as Paul reminds us, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. 